Good morning, Grace Chapel. So good to see you. Do you realize that it has been two years since we worshiped together on Easter Sunday? Two years. It's unbelievable, right? So I'm going to preach two messages to, to, to make up for it. So, yeah. No, don't leave. Don't leave. I'm just kidding. Um, he is risen. That should never get old. That's every day. But first there was what? The cross. And the cross has become such a powerful symbol in our society. Um, it's been used for good. It's been co-opted for evil. But the biblical cross is where we see the convergence of the, the greatest divine suffering ever and the greatest absolute forgiveness ever. Psalm 85 is a song. And in verse 10, there's this, there's this line, and it, it, and it sings about a beautiful day that is coming. Here's how it goes. And promise, I won't, I won't sing it, okay? I'm just going to read it. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. It's Hebrew, and in Hebrew, it's a lot more catchy. There's rhyming and wordplay in that. English, you lose a lot. But it's the cross of Jesus Christ where that convergence that that psalm talks about happened. It occurred. Where on Good Friday, God, God's demand for justice and His pure righteousness, it collided with His unlimited mercy and His love. And you and I today receive divine forgiveness. You today could receive divine forgiveness, mercy, and peace only because Jesus willingly took our deserved judgment, willingly endured the demand of God's righteousness against our sin. Why? In Hebrews, the writer there explains to us in chapter 12, verse 2 of Hebrews, Jesus did this for the joy set before Him. <laughs> Crazy. The joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross on Friday, knowing it led to his resurrection on Sunday and provided the salvation for many of us in this room in a future day. Do you know him? Let's thank God together before we look at Easter and pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we bow before you. You alone are worthy of our praise. We've, we've offered it and now, Lord, we, we desperately need, in the days we live, to hear from you. And so our prayer is that you would open our eyes so that we can see your truth and that all the other voices would fade away. We pray this in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen. Hey, can you, can you think of any location, any possession, any relationship that you might have that has risen to a level of importance in your life way beyond what it should. Can you think of something like that? Uh, way beyond its actual importance. Like, like say, a, a, a particular vacation spot. And you don't get to go there because of COVID and it wrecks your whole year. No, no, none of you in here, but I've, I've heard that that happens to some people. A certain person that you are constantly attempting to impress but you never seem to measure up, so it eats you up. Uh, 
a particular savings goal you have. Any of you got savings goals? And you frustratingly can't fund that goal because, well, other stuff keeps popping up, or should I say breaking down, and you feel like you're never going to get there. How can these and other very temporal things that don't last forever exercise such control over us and even our attitudes, how we come across to other people more than they should? These temporal things threaten to sidetrack us. No, they don't threaten. They sidetrack us, and they distract us from God's big picture. That's why I love Easter. It gets us back to what really matters. God's kingdom ideals. Is God calling on you to wait? To wait for something that you want right now? And why do you find this life so frustrating at times, so discouraging, and maybe at times even frightening? Well, like we do for every other question that comes up here at Grace Chapel, let's turn to the source of truth. So taking your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, and I pray that we will be enlightened together from God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's one of the most foundational scriptures in the entire New Testament. It's a, it's a Christianity 101 passage. You want to know what this is all about? Read 1 Corinthians 15. It's a, it's a centering passage. It's an Easter passage. Huge. And it's a, this is really important passage. Let me read you a couple verses. It's going to start in verse 12, chapter 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is a thing going around, and I'm sure a lot of people don't believe in it today. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, think about it, then not even Christ has been raised, right? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins with no hope. And then those also who have fallen asleep, those who have already died, like your, your, your parents and brothers and sisters and others you know and grandparents who, who have already passed on in Christ, they've perished. Like there's no hope. If, Christ, in, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if this is all there is, if this is what it's about, if this is all salvation is for, to make our life better and to make this world a better place, Paul says, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Like, what are we doing here Sunday morning? We encounter the, a word here in, chap, in verse 12 in this chapter 15. It's the word resurrection. It's only found four times in the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, and all four of them occur in this chapter. That's how big it is in this chapter. It's, it's a Greek word, and it could refer to the common daily occurrence of simply waking up from sleep or even standing up after you're sitting a while. For instance, Jason, who's leading us in worship today, he could have correctly asked you at the beginning of the service to please resurrect and sing to God together. I'm glad he didn't. You, you would have been like, what? For some of us, <laughs> getting up some mornings is very much like a resurrection. 
Yes, you all can relate. Good, we're, we're connecting. But in Christianity, resurrection refers to believers being brought into an afterlife of following their bodily death. It's our eternal hope. Paul's argument here is really, really clear, at least it is for me, I hope it is for you, that without the hope of eternity, Christianity makes no sense. We're just, we just do good things and we help each other. We're good for the community. If all that sin has broken in this world, man, isn't it broken? I mean, every day I just… And if all that that sin has broken in this world won't finally ever get fixed and made right, then there is no real hope now, and certainly no hope in the hereafter. Without a guaranteed eternity, our faith in Jesus Christ is robbed of all its meaning and all its power. Verse 19, if in Christ we have no hope in this life only, and this is where most people put most of their attention, right? And we're all guilty of this, then we are, of all people, most to be pitied. As Christians who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, in Him alone, as Christians, we're gathered here on Resurrection Sunday, and we have staked our entire life and existence on this promise of a radical and complete renewal one day, a transformation that has already been modeled and accomplished in full in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that eternal renewal is coming. I can't wait. Can you? I mean, I want it now. Please come back now. Just get me out of here. (laughs) I love you all. I really do. I really do. I really do. But I love God more. Settle that. But in the meantime... I want that, but in the meantime, there is this life, (laughs) taxes, rebellion, your job, (laughs) laundry. (laughs) If If there's anything that speaks of the cycle of life, it's laundry. And it can seem hopeless sometimes, never ending. Are there some concrete ways that you and I could look into God's Word in chapter 15 and see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope of heaven, can make a difference in how you and I live when we walk out that door? In our families, with our kids, in our schools, at our job, at the mall, driving on I-75? What I'd like to ask is three questions this morning, and I'm going to answer all three of these life questions with this. Christ's resurrection, and heaven's hope. Question number one, how do, you, how do you get clarity? How do you get clarity about what is truly important in your life right now? Answer, everybody, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven. Yes, all the relational, all the situational, all the physical struggles that you and I go through every day are important. Uh, let's not belittle what ails us all. But we have been given a better set of eyeglasses, a better set of lenses to view life with the resurrection hope of Jesus Christ. With this new and improved God sight, uh, we are enabled to see that none of this temporal stuff 
is the essence of what our life is really all about. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if this present grind, this daily grind, is all salvation is for, to make our life better through the acquisition of stuff, then we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Now, do I welcome money? What do you think? Am I awestruck by a spectacular sunset, especially if it's in Hawaii? Am I put at peace with the uplifting words that a friend might say? Absolutely. Bring it, like now. But my hope isn't there. My real hope is not planted there. Because God has not promised to deliver the good life, contrary to what a lot of popular preaching might say, God has not promised us to deliver us the good life of predictable health, easy marriage, compliant children. Can I get an amen? Satisfying job, faithful friends, or even a glorious sunset every night. And we see in Scripture here that what we do have help with and victory over is our biggest dilemma, most abiding problem, sin. Three letters. In the same chapter, later on in, in chapter 15, Paul says in verse 57, but thanks be to God. I mean, all this stuff's going on, but stop. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. You see, I'm not just on the winning side. God promises to work on me. God promises that He is with me. God promises that He is in me and He is for me. And He'll never forsake me. The resurrection guarantees the progressive defeat of sin in my life. And in the here and now, it happens. And the final deliverance of sin in eternity is coming. Let me ask you, are you winning today? Are you winning in life because of God in your life? Question two. Okay, that sounds good. That's great. Okay. But how do I approach my growing responsibilities, the escalating world difficulties, and the multiple choices that occur every single day of my life? Answer, everybody. The resurrection of Christ and the hope of heaven. The idea and the certainty of an eternity is clearly evidenced when you read the Bible. You can't miss it. It takes all the vanity and all the futility out of living in the here and now. In verse 58 of chapter 15, Paul continues with this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, be a rock, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Instead of getting disappointed, instead of getting discouraged because my efforts aren't bringing me um, the momentary pleasure that I desire and I think I deserve, or because my, my friends and other people aren't affirming me the way they probably should, Eternity with God's sight gives each of us a big picture motivation. Ephesians, let me read you this passage from Ephesians. This, 
this just really struck me at Easter this year. It's Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and they'll be up on the screen. Listen to this, everyone. And you were dead. (laughs) We were the walking dead. We were the real walking dead. We were dead men and women walking. No hope. What can a dead person do? Nothing. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Walking dead. Following the course of this world, you just did what everybody else was doing, or sometimes you came up with your own stuff, but it was still what the world was doing. Following the prince of the power of the air, your real daddy is the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and you was one of them. Among whom we all once lived in the the passions of our flesh, wanting to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, get off my back. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. You know what children of wrath are? It means one day God's wrath is going to come down on us, every one of us, like the rest of mankind. Pete, you say, I wasn't that bad. Yes, you were. (laughs) But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead people walking in our trespasses, He made us alive. He just did it of His own accord by His own will. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated... He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's now. That's how God sees you, follower of Jesus Christ. That's our position right now. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not the result of what… You think you figured this out on your own? Come on. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can brag, no one can boast, except God. For where His workmanship, He's working on me, and there's a lot more work to do. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand, before I was even born, that I'm supposed to Walk in them and do these good things. What gets you out of bed in the morning? And it's not just coffee, okay? What motivates you to do good? And it better not be so that others will do good to you. That's not the right motivation. What gives you the patience? What gives you the power and the energy to go through the daily grind and to do it with joy? the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resulting gift of the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you and indwelling me to all who believe in His death, burial, and resurrection to have the power to have the victory and to do the right thing. And we've been given the motivation and the power to stay focused. We have. Focused on doing what is good, doing what is right, doing what is true, doing what really matters in this world. 
even in the mundane repetition of the average day. Why? Because our living in the here and now fits in with God's bigger picture. Bigger picture. Great. God's bigger picture of what God is doing and where God is taking us. In the face of hassles, in the face of disappointments, and they're going to come, and you may have had one already this morning on your way here, and you came in here with, you know, your attitude kind of rattled a bit. It happens to the best of us. And even when you have unanswered questions and there doesn't seem to be an answer to that question, we tell ourselves that this is not the final destination. Are we there yet? No. Question number three. Then, is everything in this life delayed gratification? (laughs) Is this what we have to look forward to? Because I don't know about you, but I work really hard at pretty much everything I do. Do you? You work hard. You give yourself. You give yourself to other people. I work really hard, and, and sometimes I doubt if it's worthwhile. Do you ever have that little suspicion? Like, is this worth it all, like what I'm doing? I would take it that a lot of you, as you drive to work in the morning, if you are still driving to work, um, have that thought. Is this, is this my life? Our Western culture that you and I live in is an instant culture. You know, you can sit in front of your TV without even getting up and order dinner. And like, hello, the kitchen is right beside you, but apparently that's just wasted space now. And then when the dinner arrives at your door, you can, be, you can actually be a little bit miffed that you have to get up out of that chair, go to the door, and get it. Like, why can't they come in, put it in? Just like you're on a cruise, you know, they tuck in your napkin. Our Western culture has an instant worldview. But the hope of heaven calls you and I to a very different worldview. With God's sight, waiting is not an interruption. In God's way of seeing the reality that you and I live in, waiting is not an obstruction to the plan. Waiting is part of the plan. And we've got to see this. As we are waiting for this promised eternity that we know is a guarantee because God said so. We are not just passing the time away going, oh man, I wish Jesus would come back now. It'd be really cool. I mean, I got nothing to do. It's, come on. Nothing's important anymore, apparently. That's what Pete said, didn't he? No, he didn't. Waiting is about becoming. Every moment of the wait is a divine tool for personal restoration personal preparation, and it develops our patience. Isaiah 61 verse 3 beautifully captures this whole process. I love it. And what, what, what Isaiah says here, the, the prophet says about what the children of God are supposed to be like is this, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Why would you ever want to be an oak tree? Well, they got those cool little acorns, you know, those little seeds. No, that's not it. 
Isaiah says that he, God, may be glorified. It's God's work in you that produced that mighty oak tree. Oak trees don't just sprout up and mature overnight. It takes scores of years to bring about the majesty and the strength and resilience of of an oak tree. But when it matures, it, it lives with this splendor and strength that few plants in God's creation possess. I I just, a little while ago, cut a large limb off an oak tree, and it was a living illustration to my chainsaw. It was really hard wood. It was like, are you serious? Nothing. I just sharpened it. Through his resurrection, Jesus has purchased for you and for I not only the guarantee of a life after death, but the reality of a life before death. Real living. Be an oak tree. (laughs) And be an oak tree that God can be glorified because he planted you. Every day our faith cries out for eternity. I see it on the news. I read it on posts online. I hear it in the songs on the radio. You can't live in this world where terrible things happen every day. You can't be serious about your own struggles. You can't live, you just can't live with the moments where, you, where, you, where you're sinned against, where you face injustice, when you get sick, when there's a lack of mercy towards you from other people, and not deep in your heart cry out, Why does this have to happen? Can't this just stop now? You can't be honest as the Bible is honest and not cry out for an end to all that sin has brought on this planet, all the damage. I want it restored. We all long for and we all cry for eternity, and that's the resurrection. The person who weeps at the loss of a loved one, may not know it, but they weep for eternity. The person who is so discouraged because they've just given in again to that personal addiction they have is guilty and feels guilty, and that guilt is a cry for eternity. The racism, the corruption of government, And even disease and viruses are all a call for eternity. And what Paul does here in chapter 15 is he makes this direct connection between the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ and our God-predicted future, our hope, our eternity. And we actually are living it right now. In the very next verse, verse 19, after verse 19, where Paul said, if this is all there is, we're in a heap of trouble. This is what it is. He goes on to verse 20, and he says, but in fact, you see, we're not in trouble. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruit. Do you know what a first fruit is? It's it's a harvest term. You plant acorns 
what will be the first fruit? Come on. All right now. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> Are you, everybody online streaming this answered it right. Okay? You plant an acorn in the ground. What's your first fruit? An oak tree. Thank you very much. We have a winner. Jesus was resurrected. Therefore, sin has been defeated. Death has been conquered. There is a for sure hope for everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ that we will be raised, resurrected out of this broken world to a world where, where there is no more suffering, there is no more crying, there are no more tears, there is no more sorrow, there is no more death. And what makes it worthwhile is the resurrection. It makes it worth it all. Because one day we get to see Jesus. So run out to the garden and see God's first fruit on Easter. His name is Jesus. And there's way more coming. My prayer was that you would be encouraged uh, by what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that you would experience some sort of comfort, some sort of hope. But my prayer was also that each of us would be challenged that we'd be challenged by what God had Paul write down 2,000 years ago about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we'd be confronted in such a way that the Holy Spirit of God would change us, transform us more into the image of Jesus Christ, living and alive in a world that is dead. But there is hope. And with this view, we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to remember our Lord's death on the cross. We're going to remember 